Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do in a very abbreviated, well, not abbreviated, I guess you could call it a, a short-staffed episode of Backroom Politics. It looks like it's going to be me, your moderator and host, Justin Russell. And joining me as they do every Tuesday is the four-time uh, or I'm sorry, I got to start this again. I'm not used to having just Alan Moore. He is the former Undersecretary of Commerce, serving at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, the Honorable Alan Moore. Good afternoon, Alan. Hey, Justin. It's going to be an intimate little event today for us. I hope you're used to just a one-on-one dialogue back and forth, because God knows we have a lot to talk about. Indeed. Indeed, we do. We'll just oh, both have to wear multiple. We'll both have to wear multiple hats, which is not yeah, exactly. that unusual for us. Exactly. Wait a minute. What do we have here? Could it be joining us on the line? Is this Dan Lipner? This is indeed Dan Lipner. Oh my God! Oh my God. Joining us from joining us out of the blue in a great source of happiness for us. He is the former Joe Biden political operative and a bar-certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel, how are you? I am doing well. Back here in the D.C. area and glad to be on the show today. You have no idea how much I, it does my heart good to see you here. So anyway, obviously we have a lot to talk about. We have several sources of breaking news. Number one, let's let's start with the breaking news coming out of Washington right now in what could be only mentioned as uh, a surprise, a stunner. Uh, Today here on the Capitol, only about maybe uh, 30 minutes ago, AP and CNN report that key senators have reached a breakthrough deal regarding the federal payments to health insurers that President Donald Trump blocked in an executive order last week. Um, apparently Senator Lamar Alexander, the Republican out of Tennessee, has struck a bipartisan deal with the Democrats, uh, Patty Murray out of Washington State, to get health care funding back to the uh, marketplace. Uh, this is something I don't think was expected. We had heard buzz around D.C. that there was some sort of discussion going on. But uh, Alan Moore, let me start with you. Did how big of a shock was this, or should this not have been a surprise? This should have been expected. So, uh, it, you know, it, it was not a shock. The, uh, Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray from the, from Washington State uh, had been uh, in, in, involved in conversations um, 
weeks and weeks ago after the first effort to, pardon the expression, repeal and replace Obamacare uh, uh, fell apart. Um, when uh, when John McCain rather dramatically at the end withheld the 50th vote that Republicans needed under the special procedures at the time, it, it, it was at that point that, that Lamar Alexander, who's the chairman of the so-called HELP Committee, the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and, and the ranking Democrat, uh, Patty Murray, uh, started having conversations. And they were trying to work on a basically a short-term fix for some of the most immediate problems with the current system. Then when, uh, when Senator Lindsey Graham um, uh, and, and a few others got so very involved in a second run at, uh, at repeal and replace, uh, Alexander and Murray put their talks on hold. Then, as we will recall, just a couple of weeks ago, that one also fell apart. They never had a vote because they knew they didn't have the votes. They were a couple of votes short. And at that point, the Alexander and Murray conversations continued, again, behind the scenes. Um, and uh, what we heard today, so, so that's why I'm not blown away uh, by this. Now, what is it that, and what does it mean? That remains to be seen because so far, there's nothing on paper um, the uh, what, what was announced was that the two of them agreed to a, a two-year continuation of the controversial funding that the president uh, just last week said he's going to stop. Um, and uh, in addition to that, uh, they apparently agreed to allow governors of the various states to seek um, waivers of the 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 fairly rigid Obamacare rules to do things a little bit differently in their states if they want to. Now, that's not a carte blanche to do anything they want, but it it is a broader waiver authority than existed uh, under the original legislation that created Obamacare. So what we don't know is whether this uh, bipartisan tentative agreement that uh, the details to follow uh, what it means does it mean that the senate will move forward and uh a put all put pen to paper and then uh pass this pass it by itself attach it to the must uh the must pass spending bills that are coming up we don't know um uh, we haven't heard from the the senate majority leader uh yet and uh uh, he's the one who will have to decide uh, whether to bring something forward. Um, we don't know if the full help committee is a party to any of this and whether they will have a chance to speak. They may speak. They may come together and have a meeting and have a vote, and it might be a bill that would come right. out of that committee. We right. don't know. Right. But it's significant. The announcement has come out that those two have a – handshake agreement of a very slim uh, temporary uh, fix. Right. And our, and our friends at AP are saying that uh, upon advisement of the deal struck between Senator Alexander and Senator Murray, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, were, quote unquote, uncommittal 
which is not, you know, they're not coming out saying this is a, a bad deal. But, but here's the question, though, and I'll go to Dan Littner on this. Dan, this has got to make the hardcore repeal Obamacare Republicans, I give you Senator Rand Paul, I give you Senator Mike Lee, those guys have got to be put into a very awkward situation, particularly with the fact that uh, in a AP story that I've seen, Senator Alexander said it was Trump that urged him to strike the deal with Patty Murray to get this going. Is is there an awkward kind of positioning going on here in the Republican Party in the Senate that they should be concerned about? Not necessarily. I mean, a whole bunch of people could, could get to have it both ways, saying they were against this deal and they still want to repeal Obamacare, but don't have to live with the consequences of any of the disastrous ideas prior to the Alexander Murray deal. The better question is whether or not uh, Paul Ryan's caucus in the House goes crazy and lets him go forward with any kind of votes there. That's the bigger question. The Senate, uh, I imagine palatable enough for both McConnell and Schumer. They'll probably, assuming nobody wants to filibuster it, it'll have enough votes to pass. It's the house. That's going to be the uh, real issue. Alan Moore, going to you, do, do the Republicans have an issue as far as not only appeasing the repeal and kill Obamacare faction, as well as is there a Republican problem bringing this forward to the House, as Dan pointed out? Big problem in the House, um, but but uh, you know, step one, this was this was a Senate product. So um, the now Dan said that if, if no one wants to filibuster, I think I think the the the, the, the there are plenty of people who would filibuster this deal, um, perhaps on both sides uh, of the aisle, depending upon what this new waiver authority is, or those who just want to see uh, the the president um, and the Republicans get stuck in this mire of uh, mucking up a health system on which millions of uh, people um, uh, rely. They need 60 votes. They, they will definitely need to show that they've got 60, uh, but, but if it's a bipartisan deal, then you can afford to lose, you know, 20 from the Democrats and 20 from the Republicans and still have your 60. Um, and so uh, it's a very different dynamic than what we've seen in all the the, uh, the repeal and replace efforts to date, but, which were exclusive Republican efforts. Now, let's suppose – that no, just so so let's suppose that 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 they can come together, and that McConnell and Schumer and the, their caucuses say, yeah, fine, let's have a vote, and there will be votes almost certainly there'll be people voting against it, um, with some passion, um, but uh, then you go to the House, and the House, as Dan accurately points out, is is a different beast because. The, uh, it's more conservative um, than the, than the Senate. It's got different rules, and and they have got this this history now um, uh, of saying that we won't pass any bill through the House that doesn't enjoy the support of at least a majority of Republicans. 
And okay. uh, it, 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 there's the rub. Um, uh, let's suppose you have unanimous support among Democrats. Then you only need 30 or so Republicans to come along, and you can have a majority. But, but, but that really would make some of the Republic, yeah, but- a lot of Republicans a little crazy, not to mention Steve Bannon, uh, who is out there making noise and stirring up trouble. So uh, there's, a, there's now, a very different Alan, dynamic just, in the in the House. Alan, let me just jump in, though, real quick, because, you know, you, as, as late as this afternoon, Trump said Obamacare is virtually dead. All the best you can say is it's on its file legs. Uh, the premiums are going through the roof. The deductibles are so high. It's a disgrace. It, it seems like there's a bipolar message coming out of the White House. There's the practical, sensible, make the deal, don't hurt anybody language that is under the radar going to Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray. At the same time, it's the rhetoric coming out of the Rose Garden that everybody sees. Is, is this type of bipolar political deal-making sustainable, Dan Lipner? Well, I mean, the, the message from the White House is the president <laughs> is bipolar, so <laughs> suggesting it's anything different on any issue is just wrong. Uh, so the idea that the president, if he goes through the Senate and it's by a, some sort of bipartisan deal uh, as as Alan pointed out at some uh, previous show uh, uh, back at the beginning of the Trump presidency, that you know just changing one comma and calling it Trump Care, this president is more than capable of doing and saying it's the greatest thing ever. This has fixed all the problems, and that rhetoric is, is I can write it for you right now. Um, but the bigger question, and so the lack of a deal. And this is where Trump has put people in a bind, and arguably he he laid this out there saying, you know, he'll break it and force people to, to come to the table. Uh, the cutting off the the support payments is a train wreck uh, across the board, and they've run the numbers and it hits actual Trump voters in red states hardest of all. So. Everyone now has an incentive to actually get something done, uh, at least in the Senate. The, again, the, the House votes and the insanity of the rhetoric and the things they do in the Bannon faction, uh, the question is whether or not Bannon can be silenced. Trump said today he's in talks with Bannon to possibly you know, get him to pull back his primary challenges of yeah. every Republican that Bannon claimed he was going to do, uh, well, at least in the Senate. Yeah. So but let, let, and we're, is, and we're is gonna, Bannon controllable? I don't know. And, Dan, we're going to be talking about that here later in the show uh, on, on another segment. But uh, I want to go back to the, the health care deal for a second. Is uh, And, Dan, I'm going to go back to you on this. Is is Obamacare as it's being dissected sustainable and effective to keeping those previously without health care coverage in health care? Well, that's part of these payments. If the payments go through, yeah, people who are getting the subsidies for subsidized private health insurance as opposed to being on Medicaid, they should continue to receive 
uh, health insurance through the exchanges. And who knows, this deal that's being cut might very well have some other controls that that keep costs down because under Obamacare, prices prices and deductibles have both been going up. They've been going up less fast than they were prior to Obamacare, but it's to be seen what what the final deal is and what it actually means once it's scored. Alan Moore, you know, one of the one of the factors that came up in in Trump's signing the executive order was the issue of the the payments were illegal. Uh, a federal judge ruled that, you know, since Congress hadn't approved the payments, but the government made it anyway, it could have been seen as illegal or unconstitutional. But Trump used that as his reasoning for the executive order canceling the payments is this just political kabuki dancing or is there some legitimacy that this in fact could be illegal and it's got to go back to congress giving uh the republicans the upper hand well yeah let's remember how we how we how we got into the situation the the uh the under obamacare uh people with uh with with low incomes um uh, or simply uh, people that couldn't otherwise get affordable insurance um, uh, or, or bear, couldn't get insurance at all um, because they had pre-existing conditions were suddenly for the first time uh, uh, able to access uh, health insurance that had particular kinds of coverage uh, guaranteed, assured, and everybody would would basically have to, to pay the same price. Older people might have to pay as much as three times as much as younger people. Their costs are significantly, of, of older people are significantly higher than that. Costs of people with pre-existing conditions are consist, considerably higher than that. The whole idea, though, is to bring in a lot more people to help pay for those who couldn't afford or couldn't otherwise uh, acquire. Now, everybody then who chooses to sign up gets uh, a health insurance policy. If you're poor, though, Great. So I've got health insurance, but uh oh, there are deductibles and there are copayments that might be thousands of dollars. I can't afford to use my insurance. I can't afford to use my new insurance. So under under Obamacare, the the way that was dealt with was for the the poorer folks. Um, the insurance companies would be required to basically forgive the deductibles and forgive the coinsurance in in light of a promise of getting repaid those amounts from the federal treasury. The Republican Congress refused to appropriate funds to do that, and the president chose for several years to simply take other monies that were in the Obamacare system and use that money to give the insurers what they were promised and so that they would continue to offer this insurance. And we're talking about something on the order of $7 billion a year, not no small amount. So the, the house a couple of years ago decided the president doesn't have the authority to spend this other money. He needs to come to us and make it, get it appropriated and good luck with that. So they brought suit in federal court saying that the president was overreaching his authority under the Affordable Care Act 
Um, and and a federal court here said, you know something, House of Representatives, you're right. The president exceeded his authority. That case is under appeal right now. And in the meantime, since his election, President Trump has decided, uh, at the advice of uh, his former HHS secretary and others, um, to continue to make those payments. Those payments that a federal judge last year said are illegal. So the president has been doing the same thing in the hope that we, there would be a repeal and replace law or some other fix. Last week, largely un, uh, out of the blue, without any real warning, the president said, you know, enough. We're not going to do this anymore. Now, he did cite the fact that it was contrary to a court order, but he made much bigger point of saying, this is just money to fatten the profits of insurance companies, which, <laughs> which is not what they are. The insurance companies are only offering this insurance and taking this sort of $7 billion exposure with the promise that the money is going to come back. Otherwise, they wouldn't offer this stuff. This isn't fattening any profits. But it's fun to beat up the insurance companies because they're great big organizations, and most people have had you know, some challenges with insurance companies along the way. The problem with what the president does, though, is he demonizes the insurers. He's demonized Obamacare. He has said he has declared Obamacare dead, which, of course, it's not. Because it's still the law of the land. Um, the, the efforts to repeal and replace did not occur. And as was pointed out, um, the president also said, so I want to put the pressure on the Congress. And there's a bipartisan effort, and maybe they can come up with something. So the president's all over the lot on this, but the, the – but but he has declared two things which are demonstrably not true. One, that Obamacare is dead. It's not. Uh, it might be someday, but it's not. And secondly, that that this this uh, this money is used to fatten the balance sheets and profits of the insurance companies. No, it's not. It keeps the insurance companies in the game. Um, Alan, but let, me, all, let me go. It's all a confusing mess, and the states and the insurance companies are coming up on the enrollment season, and they're just not sure. Are they going to get Alan, paid or not? Alan, let me, but let me ask this question, because, again, the bipolar stance that we're seeing coming out of the White House on this, is this a win for Trump? And if it is a win, does it affect him and his base? Well, so <laughs> the irony here is that, the, that, that in this particular instance, because the president said, I, I'm, I'm living, you know, I, I'm going to pick on the insurance companies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abide by a court decision, um, and I'm going to muck this thing up in order to put the pressure on the Congress to fix it. And on that latter score – even though his, ra his reasoning is flawed, um, it, as I just said, that I, 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 can't, I can't not believe, I have to believe, that his rather surprising action last week gave new impetus to Alexander and Murray. And they said, you know something? For the good of the country, 
for the good of people out there who need health insurance and who are in the middle of health needs um, and insurance companies who are having to decide what's their new premium for 2018. Um, we need to come, we need to make some compromise here and come up with something fast and try to get this in place because there's potential massive disruption. Let me add one more thing though on this disruption question, which is very, very little understood. If the, the, these subsidies were to somehow go away, if a, if a, if a court of appeal said, you know, sorry, really, the, the, first, the first federal court was correct, you can't do it. There's another provision in the Affordable Care Act which says that if these subsidies are not paid, then the federal government has to provide larger tax credits to the individuals who buy this insurance in order to make it affordable. So in, a, in an odd way, the president is trying to take money out of uh, one pocket to, to save it over here, but then we'll be forced to pay it out over there through tax credits. Now, there's a time delay. There's a massive comp uh, uh, amount of complexity involved in this, an enormous amount of disruption. Nobody knows how the insurance companies who are sitting there in the middle of all of this would act and, and might get stuck. But what they would probably do is increase their premiums on the order of 20%, and then the, which is going to freak out a lot of people buying insurance who can't afford the premium now. Um, uh, and, and, and then um, know that later they'll get it back through a larger tax credit next year's tax returns. It's a mess, but there is that out. It's just so right. unnecessary and right. unfair and unproductive that does real harm to a lot of real people. Dan, from the Democrat side, do the Democrats claim this as a victory for bipartisanship? And can they capitalize on saying, hey, look, we came to the table. The president's the one saying that Obamacare is dead. He's the one with the rhetoric. We're doing. He's talking. Too soon to say. Uh, it, it all depends on what the end deal is. And the one thing that, and to Alan's point on the politics of this, the on the left, it's, it would be more catastrophic since, well, if, if anyone on the left were to filibuster it, at least in the Senate, um, the, the, the dangers are higher because seeing the, the people thrown off of health insurance, if this doesn't go forward, or the, as Alan was pointing out, the 20% increase in premiums, uh, our side's not that organized. So that being left at our feet is not just highly likely, but probable. Um, the, whereas it going forward the way it is, or more importantly, if it does not. So if Trump cutting everything and sabotaging the system as he's been doing, Right now, it's squarely at his feet. He is fully in ownership of whatever happens next. So if the deal fails in the Senate or the House, the train wreck that Trump is creating, this is all his mess. And he cannot blame uh, Obama or the Democrats because he has done everything in his power, as Steve Bannon has said, to sabotage Obamacare. Okay, but... That being the case, though, 
the Democrats have got to look at this as saying, you know, he hasn't had victory in repeal and replace. He hasn't even been able to replace it with anything. Obamacare continues to dodge bullets. Can the Democrats actually capitalize on Obamacare staying alive for lack of a, I hate to use the pun staying alive, but yeah, why not? Yeah, no, like I said, it's, still, it's too soon to say. It, it has to play out further before anything can be dictated. Uh, I mean, Democrat, our, our side was worried about the the uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Bill Cassidy debate on CNN possibly disrupting things, and that ended up being a big nothing burger. So it's too soon to say what what this could lead to if a deal is cut. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, we're coming I, I, to the bottom yeah, of the half hour. Yeah. Let me just let me add one one final yeah. thing here. I think as long, right. as long as as long as Obamacare is the law of the land, Democrats can can claim victory. No matter how much disruption though is uh, occurs with it, confusion, uh, uh, spikes in uh, in premiums, etc. The the Democrats will <laughs> will blame uh, will blame the president and the Republicans. Um, so the Democrats will definitely uh, ha- have some potential to to get some, if you will, political benefit out of that and out of this. In the meantime, you've got a president who has shown a remarkable ability to come out um, uh, of things not 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 without a few uh, a few bruises, but he w- he will argue that that thanks to his aggressive action and hard leadership um he forced uh, the the congress to come together and come up with a deal that will uh uh that will at least uh, uh not do horrible harm to people around the country and make a few changes uh, that were way past necessary in obamacare and that would be this uh, th- these new waivers in the state so he'll he'll claim credit um the Democrats will claim credit and will continue to to muddle through. Uh, this again assumes that there is a deal uh, and that uh, the insurance companies continue to play the game. And yeah. as Dan points out, we don't know enough yet. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the odd press conference given by President Trump and Mitch McConnell yesterday in the White House Rose Garden. We're going to go over that and just find out uh, and ask the question, what just happened? This is Back to Politics Live from Washington, D.C. on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes.
backroom politics. And we're back here live from Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, uh, Alan Moore joins us. I believe we may have lost Dan Lipner. Uh, hopefully we'll get Dan back. But needless to say, we're going to continue on with the show. For those who do not know, yesterday uh, was an odd afternoon in Washington media and Washington political scenes. So for those who don't know, yesterday, Donald Trump, President of the United States, invited U.S. Senator, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to a nice little luncheon over at the White House. Uh, it was done amid increasing buzz around the capital region about the uh, disintegrating relationship between Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. This comes on the same day that uh, Steve Bannon, the former uh, political advisor and chief strategist for the White House for Donald Trump, was at a, a convention or gathering here on the East Coast where he basically said that he and his followers were going to cut off the oxygen to Mitch McConnell and his type of Republicans. From there, the lunch happens. They then get ready for the afternoon press briefing as all of the White House press corps goes into the briefing room, at which point they are conducted out to the Rose Garden for what can be called an awkward – Alan Moore, how would you describe it? Awkward, bizarre press conference with the – press corps there at the White House? Well, so it was definitely the, the, the dynamic between the president and, uh, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was definitely awkward and a little surprising because the, the, the president has been so openly uh, critical uh, of Mitch. Uh, uh, I shouldn't call him Mitch, of, of the senator um, uh, in, in – uh, uh, both in in tweets and in and in comments uh, over the last couple of months, um, you know, he would personalize when he'd say the Senate needs to get to get its its work done. He would say, "Come on, Mitch, you got to get you got to you you got to step it up." Um, and and uh, <laughs> which is sort of shows a fundamental lack of understanding of how the Senate works and what the power of the majority leader is, but. But we can talk about that uh, at, a, at a different point. What was so bizarre, given the ugliness and some of the comments he's made about McConnell, the ugliness that the, 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 the far greater ugliness that Steve Bannon has directed towards uh, uh, towards uh, Senator McConnell, uh, uh, who does with, with as, as though he's spitting out a mosquito, talk about Mitch this and 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 that the people he's going to support, he, Bannon, will support, uh, need to be people who promise to replace uh, uh, McConnell. The irony is every two years, the, the leadership comes up for a vote, and it's a very democratic process, secret ballot, um, and, and uh, uh, McConnell, McConnell continues to be majority leader because a solid majority of the members of the Republican caucus believe he is their best leader, that he but, does the uh, best Moore, job me... of juggling egos and challenges and so on. But, but he's, the, he's, he's become the whipping boy and the, uh, and the target. But Having Alan... said that, therefore, it was bizarre to see him standing next to the president. Um, 
here's the problem, the Alan, bus. let me just jump in real quick, because here's the problem that I have is, you know, literally within minutes of the opening of the cabinet meeting where he's sitting there talking about, hey, it's not my fault. I, I didn't do it. This is all on Congress. This is, you know, many Republicans disappointing us. He turns around and says, and I quote, I have a fantastic relationship with the people in the Senate and with the people in Congress. I mean, Dan Lebner, does anybody truly buy that? 32% of the population apparently buys anything this president has to put down. So, yeah, somebody buys it. But, I mean, does anybody really believe, other than the 32% that we can call Trump base? Does anybody here in Washington truly believe that there is? Because, you know, again, I, I have heard recently as of the past couple of weeks from some folks on the Hill that a couple of Republicans are saying that, you know, ah, the media might be going a little bit overboard as far as the toxic relationship between the White House and the Capitol. Um, is there a possibility that there is actually a good relationship? We just don't see it. No. I mean, I think we're now at two Republican senators who 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 have used the I word in re, in relationship to Trump. So uh, and it that and that and the I word is almost unanimous among the Democrats. So yeah, you keep adding to that number, and I'm thinking there's not a whole lot of belief that there's really a good working relationship there, considering this White House and this Congress have or this Republican Congress have achieved almost nothing. So, Alan Moore, when we look at this, when we look at that awkward presser yesterday, my question is: Does anybody, does anybody, um, how do I even ask this question? Let me give you an example. Uh, President yesterday said, "I quote: I looked at some of these numbers between the judges, and I want to say that we will set." records in terms of the number of judges he's talking about the uh number of judicial appointments that he's making that's just flat incorrect is he literally just going out there that unprepared that staff is just not concerned about the credibility of what he says (laughs) there's nothing new here with the president saying things that are demonstrably untrue one can argue, uh, as we have discussed in the past, whether he in, intentionally is lying or whether he forgets or whether he's ignorant or whether he's inartful in what he says, not you know, thinking he's going to make a, uh, a valid point but then saying it wrong. Um, so we, <laughs> we are used to him saying things, and he said about four or five of them, yesterday that are demonstrably untrue so uh for example for example it, it, you bring up the uh untrue uh the issue regarding him not reaching out to the uh families of the fallen soldiers in africa and he immediately brings up barack obama barack obama didn't do it and that's and everybody knows that's not true he <laughs> What 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 happens sometimes with the president? We've seen this again since the time he was a candidate. Uh, 
there will be a grain of truth, a little some piece of something that, if carefully stated, um, would, would actually be true. He does not have the patience, the discipline, the, the, the motive, I guess, to or the best get, word. That, get that grain of truth correct and say it correctly. So he has this huge tendency to exaggerate. It, it, there's nothing that, that reminds one of, of the real estate uh, salesman in him than to look at all the exaggerations that, that on a daily or weekly basis he makes about how great something is. And usually it's how great he is, but sometimes it's we're going to have the best healthcare system ever. We're going to have uh, the, the biggest tax cut in American history. Um, things that, that cannot be delivered, things that, that either are not true or cannot become true, but they are all this sort of bombast, this let me show you this condominium. You won't find a better building anywhere, the best amenities, the best internal fixtures, um, the, the greatest potential for increased value over time. Um, and, and the building, it doesn't match up. His yeah, rhetoric Alan... does not match up with facts. It's, it's the classic uh, salesman's exaggeration. And we've all kind of dumbed down our own expectations to realize and, and accept that. Some people call them lies. Sometimes they seem, even to me, I'm much more hesitant to ascribe uh, uh, that to, to me, a lie means you have to know it's not true. There are times where he has to know. There are other times where he doesn't know. He just says it. He should know. He just says it, and he doesn't really want to know that it's so, not true. Right. So, Dan, let but me he give has, you an he has several of those yesterday. He has them all the time. Someone so Dan, the comment about the gold star about about prior presidents not calling families of the fallen which is demonstrably not true, although I guess there are t- he, he, the presidents of the past didn't always call those families. Sometimes they met with them at Dover when remains oh, came back. Right. All but presidents he- leaped through hoops, and for this president to say they didn't and set him above as though it's a contest is ridiculous. For him to talk about how hard this is, and make this about him rather than how hard it must be to receive this news, again, speaks to the kind of self-centeredness that, uh, that is so, uh, so troubling and frightening about this man. But Dan Lipner, you know, I, yeah. I look at the awkward uh, body language, facial expressions, awkward presence of Mitch McConnell there in the Rose Garden, and – to see his reaction when Donald Trump said, and I quote, we are probably now, despite what we read, we are probably now, I think, at least as far as I'm concerned, closer than ever before, and the relationship is very good. It, it, was, it was almost painful to watch that. Does the president truly believe that he has a great working relationship with Mitch McConnell, or – is he in a fantasy world or a third option is, are we just not seeing it? What's reality here? 
So, no, I think he was talking about the, the, the physical closeness during the press conference. They were kind of close <laughs> to each other. They probably shook hands. Uh, so, yeah, that, they, they, they were the closest they, they, they had been in weeks. So, yeah, obviously that's what he meant. Um, but I, I just want to piggyback on what Alan said about, uh, about the soldiers thing. Uh, that's absolutely right. The idea that the president went down the road and talked about himself uh, when talking about these guys that these green berets uh, that died on a training mission and ex- ex- expressing how hard it was for him. Um, and also, by the way, said, oh, yeah, the condolence letters are going out, I think, tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> what part of that is the is right in any sense? Um, for the for this guy who's cl- cl- claiming to be standing up for the soldiers and the NFL, the flag and this all this nonsense, to in such a lazy, dishonoring way to have approached that question, and not to mention these lives that were lost, um, it, it's unspeakable on this show to express my anger fully um, at how inappropriate that man is. Uh, it's incredible. Alan Moore, it, it seems to me that if, if John Kelly were to have a birthday wish when he blows out the candles on his next birthday cake, that the one wish he might ask for is having the president stop you know, invoking the cold bodies of former administrations. This does nothing but this does nothing to help his cause or help his message, or does it? Well, it offends most of us, but as uh, as Dan said, there's a a cadre of somewhere in the low thirties, thirty percent of Americans who see uh, their president do no wrong. Now, there's a, there is a subgroup of those who wish he would tweet less. Um, but but uh, I don't, you know, we, we, we try to apply this kind of political assessment um, to everything he does as though it's all thought through. And I, I think it's, it's not all thought through. I think some of it is just this careless, lazy um, uh, gut instinct that he's smarter than everybody else, that anything he says is okay, that his instincts are dead on with how not just his own people believe, but many, many more. You know, there have been a lot of articles recently about about, uh, the stories coming out of the White House from how people manage uh, the president. He comes up with crazy ideas, so what do you do with them? Um, you try to say, well, we'll study that and then put it aside um, and and uh, uh, and then come back to him with certain kinds of arguments. In the meantime, um, it, it's famously known that that uh, he loves to see good press about himself. So people do clippings from different kinds of news, uh, so-called news sources, talk about fake news um, uh, that 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 say something complimentary or even praiseworthy, um, and uh, that is hardly representative of where the media is. Social media, traditional media, major newspapers, minor newspapers, cable TV networks, etc. But 
imagine what it must do it to a person if he gets a little a little book uh, every morning you know that, that that sort of has clips of of complimentary things uh, about the president and, oh this is the white house and, this is the white house reads uh postings that you get yeah, I mean, now having said that, we also know the president does watch TV, and he gets outraged if if uh, if he's watching uh, the MSNBC show Morning Joe, and and uh, and Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski or some of their guests are, are are laying into him, and he will famously then tweet stuff out. So he sometimes he hears things directly, um, and he may watch Fox and Friends or who knows what other stuff. My my, my point is simply that. He's he, he has surrounded himself with people. They're not they're not so much in my judgment yes men or yes women as they are people who are trying to manage his worst instincts uh, by sort of pampering him and cajoling him and, and shielding him from certain kinds of stuff that they know will set him off. Um, but what it means is he's he's in a kind of a of a bubble where some things, some information um, doesn't get through because his reaction to it is so off the wall and potentially risky that they've concluded that they that it's better if he doesn't see that information. Now, think about that. Think about the dangers of of having a volatile leader who doesn't want bad news. So you don't give him bad news, not because you're a yes, a yes person exactly, but because you're trying to, you're trying to protect the country um, to not be overdramatic about it from him doing something that would be really harmful um, it, it's a it's a scary proposition. I, I you know people say, well, you've, he's got these enablers around him. Yes and no. Um, you know, John Kelly is not someone who is, is, is anybody would call a a, a yes man um, uh, or trying to hide the truth. But they're going to be super careful about when and where they pre- present. A challenging information to the president, and I, you know, Dan, I don't Dan know Lippert, what the effect is. It's just Dan Lippert, a, it's, gotta, it's bizarre. The, it is, and and Dan Lippert, I've got to ask when we when we come to a situation because it seems like it's happening more and more often. Um, it it's I know for a fact that it's worrying Republicans as far as every time this happens, the bipolar ask. Uh, messaging out of the White House and the and the awkward press conferences and the tweetings has got some quietly on the Hill concerned that this could cost the Republicans the House. It, can the Democrats capitalize on this? And would the Democrats, if they were to retake the House, are they literally drawing up articles of impeachment ready to drop to say, see, I told you so, America, you had your chance. Now we'll fix it. Um, well, the investigations are going to be what comes first. So all of the everything from travel to Russia 
all of that is going to be on the dance card almost immediately as soon as the next Congress is sworn in if Democrats retake either chamber. And I think it's almost numerically impossible to retake the Senate, but that said, weirder things have happened. Um, the, it, but, but those but Dan, investigations... The, Dan, Dan, uh, the House the, is definitely... I mean, things that this president has done, but, no, but one of these things, that the, and this is a, a little excerpt, and I, I apologize for going down the Rachel Maddow land, which I know is going to make Alan's eyes roll, uh, but apparently this, this White House has suggested the Presidential Records Act doesn't have doesn't hold any weight, uh, and so there is some question as to whether or not this White House is actually preserving records, uh, and if they are actually not, that's a outright violation of law on a law that is binding on the executive branch. Um, so is that impeachable? There is that. Is, is that a- is that a crime? Is that a high enough crime and misdemeanor to bring articles of impeachment against the president? I mean, that's the question. Impeachment is a political process by definition. And as one, I, as one who actually believes in a strong executive, I also believe that the legislative branch's duty is to check on the executive branch, regardless of the party in power. And this Congress thus far, with the exception of the Russia investigation, uh, hasn't really gone down the investigatory hole for anything else, uh, considering that this White House and these uh, cabinet agencies may be oversight from, uh, from Congress might be worthwhile. But, yeah, so Lord only knows what we'll find from, I mean, how many cabinet secretaries have been flying privately unnecessarily? Um, and that's just the stuff we know about. So what, what does that mean that, that's been going on outside of our, our, our point of view or our, our field of vision? So who knows? And once you begin investigating, oh. I mean, the whitewater led to Monica Lewinsky. And comparatively speaking, none of that affects normal people. So what are these agencies been doing that we haven't been paying attention to or haven't been able to see? Uh, yeah, but, I gotta but, say, but we also I, we I, also I gotta, know though. I gotta, we also know Dan Lipner. Dan, we also know that the fact that they impeached Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton was acquitted of all charges. Yeah, Bill Clinton had a lot more friends in Washington than than Donald Trump. <laughs> Alan Ward, go I ahead. Got, I, I, I'm intrigued that, that that the spirit of Harry Reid lives on through Dan Lipner coming up with <laughs> with with crazy conspiracy theories that now if this were true that they're that they're they're destroying all documents inside the White House. Uh a suggestion about which there is no evidence. Um, it's sort okay. of like saying, no, no, they do, they know, do have a, if they, they do have a court if, filing if, on this. If, if they, 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 they have suggested the, the law doesn't apply. It's sort of like saying if they've got a jail underneath the 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 West Wing where they're taking people and torturing them, um, uh, man, that could be an impeachable offense. Yeah, yeah, Al, oh, it wait, could wait, be. Wait, wait, wait. Alan Alan Moore in defense of Dan Lipner, which I don't do often. Would you put it past this administration and this White House to do exactly what Dan Lipner and Rachel Maddow are accusing? 
You mean, do I think that that John you, Kelly and McMaster and their their their, their deputies um, that would would uh, would I, join together in a mass conspiracy to destroy documents? Um, I do not. I yeah, do okay. not. They would not clear. get away with it. Think... It would be known. It would be are, seen. Are you suggesting those two guys are the only two guys in the White House? And not to mention, Kelly's been there for about 20 minutes. There, there, there was somebody there before him. <laughs> so now you're accusing well, yeah, the former. Yeah. Do I think that wait, 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 Alan, 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 hold on. No. Alan, I mean, hold on, hold on. Why, do we, why are we going to toss around these crazy conspiratorial notions when there's Alan. so much real material We're... that's Alan. relevant that we can talk about? Why Alan, do we have to let make me moderate. Alan, let me moderate. I got this. We're not talking about it. We're done. Bottom line here is I don't think they I don't think they are. Uh I have a lot of respect obviously for John Kelly. Uh you know, good Southie Irish general marine from Boston. Uh all over that. I don't think he is. But I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past others in that administration to try it, but we're going to end it there. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're coming up at the top of the hour. Hey, when we come what what's that was that Dan? What was that Dan? I said Ivanka. If I, oh stop. Okay. When we come back, we're gonna. Oh wait a minute. I might want to flip this around because I was gonna say we don't need to talk about conspiracy theories. We can talk about Steve Bannon. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the the Republican on Republican violence going on in Steve Bannon's head and how that could actually be a good thing. For Democrats in the midterms. This is Backroom Politics Live from Washington, D.C. On Blog Talk Radio, we'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. back here live from Shelly's back room. Oh, God, there's a Freudian slip. We're back here from Washington, D.C. on Blog Talk Radio. This is the ba- the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics. Uh, we are changing... Uh, we're going to change the uh, tone a little bit and go from uh, unsubstantiated, uh, unsubstantiated uh, conspiracy theories about White House documents and we're going to talk about other conspiracy theories, like Steve Bannon. So here's the story. Steve Bannon apparently uh, has a thing about destroying the Republican Party establishment, particularly those in the Senate. And he's starting with Mitch McConnell and working his way down. Uh, if it were up to Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon would, in fact, primary all 52 members of the Republican caucus in the U.S. Senate. It brings up a very awkward dynamic because yesterday, as Steve Bannon is going off about cutting off oxygen to Mitch McConnell and his power, his best friend and best buddy, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, is having lunch with said oxygen cutoffy, Mitch McConnell, there at the White House, and thus the awkward press conference in the Rose Garden yesterday. The, the, the big question that comes, there's so many questions about and we talked a little bit about it last week, but this has gotten, this has become so much more escalated, not only in the rhetoric, but in also the, the, the viciousness of the targeting of Steve Bannon and his supporters against the Republican caucus inside the Senate and, and several inside the House of Representatives as well. Alan, when Steve Bannon is literally pulling out the stops saying he's going to primary everybody and he's got other Judge Roy Moores to put up against these people. Should that worry the RNC and the executive committee as a whole? It sure should. Um, you know, whether, whether he's able to, to uh, recruit people, raise money for them, um, the, 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 the very fact that you've got uh, a person with, with a platform, with some 
resources behind him through from mostly this man, Robert Mercer and his daughter. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is, <laughs> there's nothing good for the Republican party or for the country for that matter, in my humble opinion, that the good that can come out of it. It's not to say that people shouldn't be challenged. It's not to say that, that, uh, uh, that politicians of any party shouldn't be uh, held to account for the things they do. But, but uh, you know, just the fact that, that they aren't, in his opinion, sufficiently antagonistic towards Mitch McConnell, the, 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 the leader elected every two years by his, by his caucus, uh, in a in an in an open <laughs> secret ballot system, um, um, it, it, it's democracy within a democracy, um, and uh, he he becomes the whipping boy. Um, fine, he's a big boy, and and uh, if uh, he he could step down if he chose, or he could say, hey, and and he says this all the time to to his Republicans. Replace me anytime you want. In fact, you don't have to wait for two years. If you guys all want to replace me now, we can figure out a way to do that. And his well, colleagues say, oh, my God, God, no. Oh, my God, no. Oh, my God, no. Who would replace you? There's nobody sitting there. That's the irony here, that everybody agrees, now that would be a great leader. It's sort of like Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan did not want to be a House Speaker, if you remember. He was very, very interested in doing policy. They came to him out of desperation because they thought he was the best person under the circumstances to take over. They begged him to take over. Um, and, and Ryan could say, you know, you guys want somebody else? <laughs> you know, fine. Bring um, it. Uh, are we no, no, still go connected? Ahead Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. So, so, but but when you have an outside force with resources and a and an audience and, and a and unfortunately a leader of the party, the president, who's all over the place uh, on this issue, he's trashing McConnell on one day and then he's talking about we've never been closer. I think that may be true <laughs> that they've never been closer, but they're still not close. Um, and and uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell wanted to be anywhere near that session yesterday. Um, so by, but I bet so by closer, that, that the president. So by closer, you, you know, mean like close. So by closer, you mean by like close, like Guam is to San Francisco. Well, yeah. no, I mean it. It, it, it they, they they they're very different people. They've come out of uh, totally different political traditions. And neither one, I, I suspect, has a whole lot of use uh, for the other, which doesn't mean that McConnell wasn't thinking, hey, our, our, our guy and our party won the election. Let's see what we can do. Let's make it happen. And then on, on a normal circumstance, a new president would say, geez, on our system of government, I got to bring the Congress along. I got to work with these people. I got to talk to them. I got to help them. They're my partners. I don't get to just call the shots like I do in my small family, my a small, but my, my family owned business. Um, and, and a uh, guy comes in, doesn't even understand how the government works, um, starts ordering people around and it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't work like that. 
the, the people, but, the Republicans in the Senate, Mr. President, they don't work for me. They don't work for me. I try to persuade them to do things sometimes that they really don't want to do, but they work for the people that sent them here. And there's, and there's 52 of us, and we all have these conflicts, and we're trying to get some stuff done because, God forbid, we don't want to turn power over to the Democrats. But we need to persuade and convince and reward. If we yell and scream and punish and threaten um, – we're just going to tick people off. They're not going to owe us anything. And they, they're just going to say, no, we can't afford to lose as we've, as we've learned already in certain circumstances, you can't lose more than two. And the president, you you know, but here's the thing though, here's the thing that bugs me, Alan, what bugs me is every time Steve Bannon has put somebody up and backed them openly, you know, I go back to, you know, I go back to the Del- the uh, Delaware Senate race uh, of 2010. I go back to the, or was that 2012? Uh, I go back to, I go back to. Well, that was not Utah. Bannon. Who was that? Those were the, they weren't Bannon. Those were Tea Party folks. That was a whole different, you know, that was like. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, 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 I meant to see Tea Party. I, I meant to see Tea Party. I, I meant, I meant, what I'm getting at is when we see. Outside the political, what they call the establishment, when we see a non-unified Republican Party primarying each other, you know, I can understand a primary, but to literally openly come out and and make it a political tool the way they are is remarkable to me because every time they, we've done it, the Republicans have lost a seat. I give you. Utah, I give you Delaware, I give you um, Indiana, Massachusetts. Missouri. Yeah, yeah, insert them here. And, and the thing about it is Steve Bannon has a very, very shallow memory when it comes to, number one, understanding politics and political history, but also a shallow memory of, you know, invoking several Republican mantras like, you know, thou shall not talk bad about another Republican. Bannon makes it a daily presser to talk bad about other Republicans. And all it does is more and more give credibility to the dysfunction of the Democrats. It makes them look good. It makes them look smart. All they have to do is hold up signs in precincts and going, we're not them. That's got to be concerning to Republicans as a whole, Alan. Absolutely. He, I mean, his, his the, 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 the Bannon view is there's not a dime's worth of difference between Republicans and Democrats. And you start from that premise. That's total and complete nonsense. And there's all sorts of ways we could, we can illustrate that. Just take a look at something like repeal and replace where, God, they got 49 votes. Um, didn't see that. Didn't didn't see the forty nine coming, much right. less fifty or fifty one, and and uh, there's some deep divisions and some issues that do unify. Deep divisions among Democrats, deep divisions among Republicans, but there's a big divide between the two parties, which is undeniable. Oh, Ban- uh, 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 Ban- <laughs> uh, uh, 
Bannon doesn't see that divide that way. He says, yeah, those differences are not that real. There's not a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. Um, we need a new Republican Party that will uh, reaffirm, reestablish American values that made us great. And then you start asking for details, and they want to erect walls against barriers and and walls against uh, uh, against trade deals. Um, and right. that's and. And then they have a lot of code words for other things, and that's kind of their economic their, their economic nationalism. Um, and and there 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 are issues in trade and in immigration that are important that needed need to be addressed, but don't need to be used to trigger uh, ignorance, anger, um, and an ugly response. But Bannon's sense is, I'd rather blow up the party for the sake of getting America on the right track someday, then strike another compromise that keeps pushing us uh, uh, down this, this alley of greater inequality um, and, and lack of, uh, lack of, if you will, democratic control of, of so, our institutions. Alan, let me, let me ask this danger. question. Okay, no, no, but let me ask this question. When we, when we look at Steve Bannon uh, and we look at what he's doing, is he – I mean, by, by single-handedly bringing out what he calls conservative values, you know, bringing jobs back to America, that's fine – but if you do it at the expense of trade, there's no going to there's not going to be any jobs for uh, manufacturing to come to because we're not selling anything. Uh, when he talks about you know border, when he talks about the border, and he talks about you know eliminating all immigration, and I know that I'm I'm stretching and I'm paraphrasing and I'm oversimplifying right. his 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 statements, but when he brings up immigration and the wall. And, 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 you know, America first, not understanding the fact that our economy can't handle the impact of taking away a very significant, large and necessary labor force in the uh, questionably documented workers that are working in agriculture, that are working in construction, that are working in hospitality, housekeeping. These are jobs that Americans don't want and would rather go on welfare to take. What he's saying isn't exactly conservative values. What he's saying is Steve Bannon values as he sees it, which quite frankly are wrong. Would you agree with that? Well, I don't. I don't agree with his with his point of view writ large. I think that that one can one can uh, dispassionately analytically take issue with aspects of uh, trade deals we've struck, even though I am by and large uh, a supporter of, uh, of large trade deals. I thought that the trade, the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, made a lot of sense for America. Um, now, it, I love the way that, 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 that Democrats love to say, and, 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 and Trump killed that. No, he didn't. Um, <laughs> Hillary Clinton and, 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 
and Senate Democrats killed that before Trump ever got a chance to um, uh, because it became such a liability from a political standpoint because trade deals are hard to understand and because we've never done a very good job about easing the impact of the dis- the the displacements that occur with trade deals. And that's not to say that sometimes we haven't done, done some deals that, that, that have the disproportionate, disproportionate damage uh, to the U S because we, we didn't have the foresight right. that, that we wish we did. Um, right. That uh, on, on the immigration standpoint, they're, they're, they're important and legitimate issues re- relating to particularly illegal immigration. And then once you're going to start, acknowledging that there's a lot of illegals here and we got to do something about them. Uh, then before you know it, we're into a uh, uh, racist kind of conversation about um, people who, uh, who don't belong here and we need to toughen up and get them the hell out um, without any reflection or consideration of the history of the country, the values the, we yeah, embrace, but, but Alan, and the need to, Alan, to if we're going to make changes, to do it in, in thoughtful and humane and careful ways. Right, but Alan, in, in, at the expense of you know, p- paying n- 9 or $10 for four chicken breasts at the supermarket, or paying $14 for a pint of strawberries at the produce stand, uh, you know, or paying, you know, three hundred and fifty dollars a night at a Motel Six along Route seventy uh, I seventy five. We we we, we, we no, nobody truly has taken at least in Bannon's side of the Republican House. Nobody has taken a truly practical uh, look at how we have to address immigration. It, that's my problem. And Bannon for, I mean, let, let's look. What, Steve Bannon is calling this from the cheap seats. Steve Bannon is literally calling this from just throwing out rhetoric and just absorbing the love and expanding the rhetoric. That's not politics, in my opinion. To me, that is just cheap nationalistic warmongering. That is cheap nationalistic uh, divisive demagoguery, for lack of a better term. When, Alan, do we as Republicans, because it's just you and me right now on the show, when do we as Republicans get the backbone and when does the RNC get the backbone to shut this down? Or can they? Well, they can't. That's the, <laughs> the RNC has no power to do any of this. And, and Republicans, um, as we well know, uh, have been extraordinarily careful and cautious and hesitant to, to go out. We're talking about Bannon now, but, but it's not about Steve Bannon. It's about President Trump. Um, and and uh, uh, we... we we recognize the challenges for a Republican to go and be assertive and aggressive in criticizing the president. The, the 33% that believe in the president, no matter what, um, p- constitute probably 80 plus percent of the votes of most Republicans. So um, uh, they, will, they will continue to support uh, Republicans 
um, as long as the as the president does. Um, and uh, but if one of those Republicans uh, turns on their sacred president, their sainted president, um, uh, then uh, uh, those folks uh, are liable and likely to, to pivot on a dime um, and vote for initially in a primary uh, another Republican with a different point of view. And it's usually going to be somebody with a lot less experience and understanding and a lot of bombast. Uh, and ugliness, but if it's uh, consistent with what the, the, the kind of rhetoric that the president shows, or Steve Bannon says he's our guy, and, and you're a Republican uh, that's been around a while and trying to make things work and trying to find uh, common ground when you can and, uh, and advance the, the ball for the good of the country, um, and you're suddenly just being completely ripped apart and trashed by uh, uh, by your own party, by the Steve Bannons in your party, or the president, um, the, 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 the self-preservation gene runs pretty deep and pretty strong. And the people on the outside, most of whom are Democrats, of course, then just take those guys to task. Why won't Republicans speak up against their president? Well, they would, they, they would like to continue to serve. They know this president won't be around forever, um, he's not shown a very steep learning curve or a willingness to learn. Um, you know, that doesn't mean he won't eventually learn at least some stuff. In the meantime, it's a daily uh, challenge to decide um, uh, how do I not speak out against something I think is fundamentally wrong? And if I do speak out, how do I do it without destroying my political future? It, and that's the calculus a lot of people make. We don't run for office. We're not serving. We're not running for election. It's easy for us uh, uh, to 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 be critical. Um, but I try to, you know, I try to put myself in their shoes and think, man, I don't want to be in that position. Um, but but, uh, but then, you know, it's the Bob Corkers who speak out once they, you know, the timing is not coincidental. He announces but, he's know, not going to run wait, again. Wait, 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 Alan. We don't talk about. The political courage that people like uh, uh, Jeff Flake out of Arizona, who is openly critical about the president. Yep. Uh, we don't talk about that. He's likely the number one target outside of Mitch McConnell that is open about the president that is actively seeking reelection. And we'll probably get it, hopefully. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we look at... You know, we can go through all the states, Nevada, Alaska, Maine. All of these people have said that they're going to continue to seek reelection and people like Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. But they're the ones showing political courage. One would think that we would, as Republicans, want to stand up and keep from instead of focusing on the nationalistic demagoguery that we want to shore up our position and seek out the independent voters that we might have alienated as a result of Bannon and Trump, that we go out and we seek out the minority and the women votes and the, the different sectors of the American electorate that we, have, that, that we have pushed away because of people like Bannon and Trump. Why is this escaping Republican leadership? And why? And, and understand why are they so scared of Steve Bannon? I don't know that I don't know that they're scared of Steve Bannon, but 
the, the more you you spend your time as a senator being critical of of a guy that 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 much of America has not heard of, um, you elevate him and his stature. So with it, there, there's a big difference between being critical of Steve Bannon um, uh, and being critical of the president. What I think you saw yesterday with the president, he said a couple things about Bannon. He said some things in, in the cabinet room, and then he said some things in front of the press out in the Rose Garden. And he said initially, so Steve Bannon's a friend of mine, and I know he's uh, trying to do the right thing. And when he's out in the Rose Garden, after he has talked to Mitch McConnell, he has said, you know, uh, Steve Bannon's my friend, but I, you know, I'm going to have to talk to him because what we don't want to do is, is, uh, is help the other guys. And then McConnell took the, uh, the podium in the Rose Garden and made, a, and, and made a comment that, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say we're going to knock off a, a, a Republican in a primary, but if you do that, you better be sure that your candidate can win. He said in the general election, and we've had several examples in recent years where uh, a, a primary victor of somebody who would likely have won um, lost, and we uh, and we turned the seats over to a Democrat. Now, so, we all know that stuff. The president is still in learning mode. And what I saw yesterday was um, the president – Coming fresh off a conversation with with uh, with Senator McConnell, um, getting schooled on what happens when you primary a sitting Republican because he's not pure enough for you. Um, and I'm not talking about Jeff Flake, with whom the president's had an ongoing back and forth with, but I'm talking about the the comment that when Bannon said, I would primary all of them except probably Ted Cruz. You know, that, <laughs> that's what really scares the hell out of of, uh, of a Mitch McConnell. Um, fundraising is down anyway, and what you don't want to do is start having to raise money to, to use in primaries. Um, that, and, and so... Um, it, it, it's, but but I don't expect McConnell and others to spend a lot of time publicly talking about Steve Bannon. It's much more efficient to go to to the president and the people close to the president, and the people who listen to the president, saying, "Mr. President, if you don't rein in Steve Bannon, you're going to lose your fragile majorities, and and you can." You can deal with with a Speaker Pelosi and a and a Majority Leader Schumer and find and, out and how by much the way, fun you're that also is. Probably, and you'll also more than likely deal with articles of impeachment. Hey Dan Lipner, here's you my know, question. I, yeah, I don't buy I don't buy the impeachment thing myself. You don't. I don't think that. No, I don't think that the Democrats are waiting to take over so they can immediately uh, move towards impeachment. What I do see is them having a number of investigations of different aspects of uh, uh, of the uh, of the of the administration um, perhaps creating a but by then it'll be too late some kind of a bipartisan commission on on the role of Russia but impeachment is you know high crimes and misdemeanors what's the definition 
the definition is anything that gets a majority uh, in the House. But these people aren't simply going to say, we hate this guy. Therefore, we're going to impeach him. Um, Dan Lipner, you Dan Lipner, you agree with this? No, no, I think that it'll be based on something. Uh, if, if there is impeachment, it'll, it, it won't be just because the president is hated. But there's already a number of scalps that have been taken for the for this administration. The latest of which being the the uh, the nominee to be the next drug czar. I mean, people are being taken out. I mean, even though he was never formally put forward, I don't think, uh, as far as the nomination. But finally, HHS secretary was taken out by, by a scandal. So there have been people that have, that have been knocked off that, have, that this president has thought were his guys. Um, so the question is, what happens next? And so, yeah, so, I, I, impeachment's plausible. We just don't know based on what yet. But Jan Lipner, how is it that you know the the Democrats have got to be looking at themselves every day and just saying, how are we not winning? The question I pose to you is, how are you not winning? Well, I think the New Jersey governor's office is about to be ours, thanks to the both the Donald and the disaster of Chris Christie. Uh, I'm trying to pick what uh, the Alabama Senate. Roy Moore is going to be the gift that keeps on giving, uh, assuming the Democrats can't pull out a win in Alabama, which is highly unlikely to win there. But uh, Roy Moore is not just crazy. He's loud and crazy. He is going to be a fundraising windfall for at least his term. If he, if, if he makes it through a full term without being expelled from the Senate, he's already been expelled from the uh, Alabama Supreme Court twice. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, how do you define winning? It, it, on this case, it's got to it's got to be either legislatively, which the defeating all of Trump's ideas on the Hill, uh, since the Republicans haven't shown they can govern uh, legislatively. Okay, that would be winning. Uh, and once it comes to the ballot box and the nearest race that's up for grabs is New Jersey. We're, looks like we're going to win that. We got we got another uh, less than a month to go to see what 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 goes on there. Uh, so what winning do you what more winning do you want to see? <laughs> what more winning do you want? I, to see? I, you know, if as Dan says, if if Roy Moore becomes the gift that keeps on giving for Democrats um, to go along with, shall we acknowledge the president of the United States? Um, and maybe Steve Bannon. It's only it seems only fair that that the Democrats should have some gifts that keep on giving, because as long as the Republicans have similar gifts that keep on giving in the form of people like Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Bill Clinton, um, just these whipping by these these they're very different people, but they from a political standpoint continue to. Uh, uh, to be political gifts to the other party. That's the no, 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 I think you're misunderstanding this. So there's the fundraising stuff, which is true. Yes, you can, you can whip up anything, but then there's also scaring the middle. And for the Bernie Sanders, the Bill and Hillary Clinton stuff, while Hillary Clinton was wildly unpopular, she didn't really scare people. 
Roy Moore is scary crazy. Um, even to, I, I'm going to throw out there to both of you, is there any part of Roy Moore that is not scary crazy to either of you? Well, well yeah, but, yeah, but Dan, you, think, can't use I, us, I, you can't I, use us as a representative sample. I always thought wait, 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 the wait, Bernie Sanders ideas were scary. So, you know. But, it, yeah, me, but Bernie Sanders doesn't, it doesn't carry a revolver around in his pocket and wave it around the campaign event. Well, I, <laughs> that may be true. But his policies could have done, in my judgment, Serious damage to the United States of America. Um, I, believe me, this is no defense of Roy Moore. Um, we, we, we've had a few crazies along the way, and he's Alan. He's it way sounds out like there. you're defending. It sounds like you're defending Roy Moore. I'm not defending Roy Moore. I think he's a nutcase, and uh, you know, I think he has no business being in the United States Senate. I'm just saying that that uh, you know, when Dan was talking about gifts who keep on giving. There seem to be a few of those around. They're not all the same. They're just gifts who keep on giving. Um, no, but the, and, the, gift, uh, the true gifts are the ones that scare the middle. And Roy Moore is going to scare the hell out of the middle. And Jeff Sessions, for for all of his 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 issues, was a soft-spoken brand of crazy. Uh, Roy Moore is not that. He he wants to be center stage, and he will shout it from the mountaintops. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I have no idea what to expect uh, from the guy. Um, I mean, I have some idea. I don't feel very good about it at all. I wish you weren't coming. Um, but but uh, anyway, we don't need to talk about him. But I wanted to say, well, I'm going to have to run, you guys. But I, I wanted to say one thing. You, you, there was a reference to, uh, to, this guy, to, to, the, to, to Maroney, the guy that was going to be the congressman from Pennsylvania who is going to be nominated to be drug czar and a big expose on the Washington post and CBS uh, in 60 minutes. I'd like to talk about that at some point, you guys, I encourage you to look closely at that story. There's something fishy about that whole story. The, the, which, legislation which story talking, the, the Washington post and 60 minutes expose about, a law that was passed that makes it harder to enforce um, uh, for the, for the drug enforcement administration to control opioids, uh, prescription opioids um, out in the marketplace. And the suggestion is that there was some insidious um, connection between uh, a couple of congressmen, this guy Maroney, Marsha Blackburn and the drug industry. And I thought, well, weird so what's what's this all about what's going on i started reading and reading and reading you know the the law that was passed was passed last year by unanimous consent in both houses and the president president obama signed it so it's like wait a second and and it wasn't two two republicans there were two republicans and two democrats who were were promoting this orrin hatch worked out the final deal in the senate but this was considered in uh, in committees. It was considered by thoughtful people on all sides, none of whom want to make it easier to get prescription opioids. And yet, right. the, the the scandals, you know, it suggests, and and there's all sorts of factual mistakes and mistakes of emphasis in these stories. And I think the the reporting on it, myself is sloppy. I'm not defending anybody. I mean, 
but but it, it's a it's fascinating. The story was front page above the fold on Sunday in the in the Washington Post and on CBS News that night. And on 60 Minutes that night, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! What happened here?" And then the more you look at it, you think, "Wait a second! There's a lot more here than than meets the eye." Um, things don't in this Congress in this environment. They don't. They don't. And, and last year, didn't pass by unanimous consent and get signed by the president and, and approved by the Department of Justice and the Drug Enforcement Administration of Barack Obama. And I'm not blaming the Obama administration. I'm thinking there's, <laughs> there's some really sloppy reporting here that, that, uh, that does not give an accurate account of what actually occurred and what's going on now. Anyway, it, well, actually- uh, that's all I have to say. But yeah, actually, Alan. That, but. Yeah, actually, Alan. I was going to bring that up next week because uh, it, it, it it it's it is part of a larger story that gets swept under the carpet uh, when you know bigger and sexier things are happening, and then they bring it out like this when it becomes a, a national crisis, and and that national crisis meter goes back and forth about how much coverage it gets in the media. I do want to bring that up next week, uh, and we'll bring up the Moroni and that story, but it's the bigger opioid crisis that I want to talk about next week. Absolutely. Massive yeah. crisis. Yeah, and absolute crisis. And it's, not pre- and, and then, it's no longer the prescription drugs, but the, but the imported fentanyl and the heroin that, that was triggered by and fed by the pharmaceutical drugs. Right. Um, anyway, it's... Yeah. My, my only uh, request it's, it's, is we are all sucking on fentanyl lollipops while having that discussion. <laughs> You'll have to provide them. You'll have to provide them, Dan. He's a Democrat in Washington, D.C. He knows where to get them. He's we the don't guy. talk about that on the air. <laughs> we don't talk I'm about sorry, gotta run. Hey, yeah. Okay, Alan, thanks for joining us as always. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, Dan, while we got you, I, I want to just go a little bit. Uh, on a tirade real quick about uh, something happening overseas. Uh, In case you haven't seen it, um, two weeks ago, the the, uh, Kurdish regional government put forth a referendum to Iraqi Kurds in the northwestern part of that country. And they basically voted and, and in a very large majority voted in favor of declaring its independence from the Iraqi central government creating the sovereign nation of Kurdistan. Since that vote, the Iraqi central government in Baghdad has done everything from uh, threaten arrests of many in the central Kurdish government to now, over the past 48 hours, Iraqi national forces... Iraqi federal troops, Iraqi national forces, in conjunction with militia sponsored by the Iranian central government in Tehran, those two, who should be diametrically wanting to kill each other, are now in sync in attacking the Kurdish region, or what I will recognize as Kurdistan, the Kurdish city of Kirkuk. It is something that the U.S. government has seen to brush under the carpet. 
it is a lack of political backbone coming out of the White House that they it, – it's not only – here's the thing. I think it's not only a lack of political backbone, but it is a lack of understanding. I dare I say it is a demonstration of ignorance and hypocrisy, the fact that this is happening as we speak. The yeah. Kurdish go, – go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, please. No, no. So, I mean, everything you're saying is accurate, um, but the the ignorance in the White House for how easy the, the every all the issues in the Middle East were going to be uh, is just wrong. I mean, the the the, the Kurds, who uh, I believe are the the largest demographic group without a state uh, in the on the planet, um, uh, that they they are a, a geopolitical challenge, uh, both. With within Iraq and with Turkey, uh, with whom is a, a a NATO ally and the current president uh, Erdogan of Turkey, uh, this president happens the, the, our, our president forty five happens to be fond of. So the the Kurds, uh, who in my opinion do deserve a, a state and have shown themselves to be. Uh, outside of Turkey, the only people who can who, who can democratically govern themselves outside of Turkey and Israel in the region, and and they've also been the most loyal fighters against ISIS and everything else. I mean, the the the, the Kurds are a a a worthy point point of reference on all sorts of on all sorts of areas that we should be pay, taking note of. That said, that's not how foreign policy is dictated. We took out Saddam Hussein, the Iraqi government, and the the rebuilding of the Iraqi government is very much our responsibility. The the three state ish solution that is Iraq, uh, not the least of which is the Kurdish re- Kurdish region that also happens to have a fair amount of the Iraqi oil on it. Um, this is part of the deal that we brokered to keep the Kurds as part of the Iraq. The greater Iraq, um, the wisdom of that brokering, you can argue, but nonetheless, we have brokered that deal uh, to help do have the current Iraqi government, which in, includes the Kurdish region. So, but he, for us a, to turn around and simply acknowledge, uh, wait, let me finish this point. As far as as far as globally. Lots of folks have declared their statehood until it's recognized. Um, it isn't anything. Yeah, but Dan, here's, I understand that. I mean, we're seeing the same thing in Catalonia, in Spain, in Barcelona. I get that. But here's the thing. Without Iraqi Kurds, without the Pashmarga, ISIS overruns the Middle East and creates total havoc in the region, destabilizes the region. Without the Iraqi Kurds and the Pashmurga, we see a larger loss of life and we see an emboldened ISIS going global. What, the problem I have with all of this, and I've given interviews on, on Kurdish TV and here in the States about this, and, and for full disclosure... I am a supporter of independent of an independent Kurdish state. I believe they've earned that right. 
They've earned that right in bloodshed. They've earned their right in loyalty to our cause and fighting ISIS and trying to stabilize the region. You're, and, and they're caught between two raging uh, toilet bowls in Baghdad, between the central government in Baghdad and the central government in Syria. And they still manage to keep a secure, economically solid, um, safe, environment for even Westerners to go to. And yet we show the appreciation of that loyalty, that stability, and that earned right by backing the central government or, or, or staying quiet, which it, to me is silently backing the, uh, the, Ira- the Iraqi government's push into using force in Basically invading what should be, by all accounts, a recognized sovereign state. It is shameful that we show our appreciation to a people that have literally given their blood to support our national security interests and then turn around and take a blind eye to active aggression by a government that we put into place. That is embarrassing. That is shameful. And by the way, for the record, this is not the first time that we've done this. This is not no, the first time we've done this how, to how, the how, Kurdish people. How, how, however, you can't uh, – unfortunately, the foreign policy is hard in, in its interest. Uh, and, but just – Let's just flirt with the other peoples around the world who have declared independence, uh, not the least of which in Spain, the Catalonian region, uh, just declared independence. And that didn't go over so well. Uh, the, the Zabatista rebels in Mexico declared independence. The Conk Republic in Florida has declared in independence many times. Hey, uh, by the way, I'm a proud, by the way, I'm a proud passport holder of a Conk Republic passport, might I remind you. I am a citizen of the Conk Republic. So uh, it, there, there is no shortage of people on the planet that want to be recognized, not the least of which that is the most notorious is the Palestinian, the, the Palestinian region the, that was looking for to be recognized as a state in the United Nations. And that's probably got the most weight behind it than anything. Uh, of all the various different issues that have been at, at play for decades, uh, actually yeah, but Dan, centuries. So oh, these, Dan, these, Dan, these Dan, wait a minute, wait, 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 Dan, you are not comparing Pal- Palestinian state, which, look, I have no problem with an independent Palestinian state, as long as it does not jeopardize the, the sovereign rights of Israel or the sovereign right of Israel to exist as long as Hezbollah is not actively you know and the Palestinian Authority is not actively looking to attack bring violence and kill all Jews and destroy an Israeli state not going to happen in this case in the case of Kurdistan and the Kurdish question these are people that are literally fighting for our national security, our global security. And we don't back them up, yet, we, yet we've yet we had administrations push for Palestinian 
sovereignty because they were such good allies to us in the region? I don't think so. Those are apples and oranges. How does our global security impacted if the rest of the Iraqi state collapses? Uh, just to play that forward. Um, exactly. What is, what, Why does what is one have to be mutually against, exclusive uh, of the against other? ISIS or, or an advancement of, of Iranian interests in the region? Uh, we've already screwed that up once, but if the, if the Iraqi government collapses again, what, 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 but, but Dan, what's the shield what, wait, there? Why does, why, does this, why does Kurdish independence have to be mutually exclusive of a sustainable Iraqi central government? Well, as I as, as I mentioned, the oil was not the least of the the, the reason uh, that to to pay attention. That's money. I mean, at some point, the, the governments have to sustain themselves. And, and part of the issue that's going on in Venezuela right now has been the collapse of oil prices because the the oil money was sustaining the rest of the government and and the supports for the people. And lo and behold, when oil prices went down. All, all of those payouts suddenly became an issue. Imagine if Iraq suddenly had a cash flow problem and the and the Kurds were keeping the entirety of the oil revenue. While great Dan, that, Kurds, that is go apples, on the limb and say that would be problematic to the rest of Iraq. Dan, that is apples and oranges in my opinion. I got to tell you, when you look at Venezuela, Venezuela collapsed because PDVSA was very successful as independent quasi-governmentally owned company pre-Chavez. When the oil prices, the only reason why, why Venezuela has collapsed is because they nationalized PDVSA, was, did not allow it to make smart business decisions and return that investment back to the people. They, they raked it over the coals. This no, is a Justin, situation is, where... They're, they're, there, there, there is a direct correlation between oil prices and oil states uh, be, being destabilized. And hell, it's part of the issue with Saudi Arabia and 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 its, and its neighbors is the is the oil prices. This is part of the stuff that's in play because it it, it 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 you have less money to deal with. You suddenly have have a population that is sort of pissed off. You can't you can't pay off your own people. That's that that's the catch on this stuff. I, I, okay, fine. I'll give you that. But here's the thing: is we've already we've already sustained the Iraqi central government. And by the way, Kirkuk is not the only oil reserve that that country has. I we can go into the central part of that country and find oil reserves and oil uh, production capabilities down in that in, in in the rest of Iraq. Why does it have to be so focused on Kurdistan? I mean, based the way, on the reports the I saw, the, that, that, the, the first thing the Iraqi army did was retake the oil region. That, that's what I saw. So I'm going to guess, go out on a limb and say they thought that was pretty important. <laughs> well, okay, I'll give you that one. Yeah, that one I will give you. But, but here's the thing. You, you know, and, and, and here's, what, here's what baffles me. If the Peshmerga and the Kurdish people do not take an active role in fighting ISIS, there's no central Iraqi government. There's no Iraq. It becomes the Islamic State. Uh, I think you're. I think I think that overstates it a bit. I mean, the, how? How? The, uh, well, well, a you said the 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 global crisis of ISIS, and 
yeah, they're, they are a global nuisance and far from good. But uh, I, they are, ISIS is not going to be walking down Pennsylvania Avenue and you know planting a flag on the White House. This is that's that ain't so. Nor nor is it going to no. happen in Berlin or London or any place else. It, no, but but recently, Dan, Dan. recently they are a colossal headache. But uh, Dan, let they, me wait, 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 wait. Let me let me say this. I agree with you. They're not walking down. They're not walking down Pennsylvania Avenue. But what I will say this: Is there a threat that they could literally march into Amman, Jordan? Absolutely. Is there a threat that they could walk into Baghdad? For sure. Is there a threat that they could expand that into other areas, Northern Africa? I mean, what's to stop them? What's to stop them from going into Cairo? But because no, of the that, fact no, 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 they're, 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 no, 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 no. It's it. I mean, I'm not the expert on this. I, I wish Admiral Ken, or actually, we, I wish we had a a, a Marine or a soldier uh, that that was on the ground in those in in those places to speak to this. But from again, I, this is based on the reporting I've seen. The there is nothing that suggests that ISIS has the ability for that kind of governance. The, no, the, no, no, no. the tribal communities, tribal communities and, 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 and townships and those kind of things, absolutely, where you can rule out of fear when you have when you have the biggest guns rolling into Cairo or to Baghdad. That's that's nonsense. It's just not that's not, that's not wait, plausible. Wait, wait, wait. And not to mention, not I, you you have air forces in like real armies at play there and and a defensible position. And this is why I wish that we we, we had people who 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 were who walk on dirt as opposed to on boats uh, on the show. There's, it, 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 it's <laughs> whoa, a different whoa, creature. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was a little hurtful. <laughs> I see your point. I, I, know, I do see your point, Dan. But, but I, w- I will say this. I, 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 you know, you look at ISIS. Nobody thought that ISIS would have the capability of taking Raqqa. Nobody thought that I, ISIS would have the ability to make advancements at Kirkuk. Nobody thought that ISIS would have the ability to secure large swaths of, of controllable territory in the region, and they did. We underestimated them. But what, you know, through our own efforts and the, and the efforts of our allies, but we were able to put ISIS on their heels and actually take away from and, and actually almost – you know, stomp them out completely. But we don't, we are not able to do that without the Pashmurga. We are not able to do that with Iraqi Kurds. That's my bottom line on this. That's enough. And we no, got, no, we I, get, I, I, I agree. And, 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 and I've, I've said this for a while that I, I think that if there's actual some creative thinking in foreign policy, that a, a Kurdish state was actually potentially viable if you if you could have brokered a deal with both the Iraqis and the Turks to the, the, to for the for the for for the Kurds to to waive any claim to to Turkish land in in exchange for a Kurdish state, human well, migration well, have occurred in the past, not the least of which has been Pakistan. I mean, wait a minute, wait a minute, it, it wait a minute. is possible to 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 broker deals and for for people to have. Something that that is being sought and that could have brought stability to the region and potentially had another democratic, a truly functioning democratic state in the region, which arguably could have done more uh, for the, the 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 Arab Spring. But 
we don't have that. So we have the world we have. So you got to deal with the reality. Um, I would look, look, President Barzani, the president of the central Kurdish government, is more of an ally, is more of an ally, and his government in Erbil is more of an ally to us than Erdogan and the and and his and his gang of thugs. Bottom line. Understanding the whole NATO relationship, we should be going out of our way to support a Kurdish national state. That's just my opinion. Okay. With that, on behalf of Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, I am so glad you're back. We miss you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we, we miss you. Uh, we will be back next week live on Blog Talk Radio for the best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics. You can uh, Backroom Politics Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. And you can also email your concerns, fan mail, questions, and just general commentary to me, your moderator, Justin Russell, at Justin at backroompolitics.org. Have a great, great week, America. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.